God's Word and turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 6, what has been called the most theological book in all of the Bible, a book that is all about what it means to be saved. So it should be, it should be fitting for those of us who have gathered here. Most of us would profess to be those who have that relationship with God, who are saved, and, and yet we struggle, don't we? Do you ever have those moments where you don't act like you're saved? I have to tell you, I'm in that category. There are times when I feel like I've blown it. I've messed up, and I've done it so many times. I just want a do-over, a start-over. I want a fresh beginning. I really want a brand-new me. And that's what we're going to be talking about as we look at Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7 and eventually Romans chapter 8. I was talking with a friend earlier in the week, and he's been a great friend. I love him dearly, and we were just having kind of a man-to-man conversation, and he said, Paul, I I love Jesus. He's everything to me, but man, there's some of these things that just seem to control me. They they seem to have power in my life, and I, I keep falling again and again in the same way. Maybe you can relate to that. You're, you're fighting the same old battles again and again. Today, what I want you to understand from the Word of God is that you may be fighting battles that have already been won. So I want to help you readjust your life uh, according to God's plan and what His Word says you can experience as a child of God. It was several years ago that one of my good friends, Benji Cowart, He helped write a song that then Big Daddy Weave kind of made well-known in the Christian world. Maybe you can relate to some of these lyrics. It says, seems like all I can see is a struggle. I'm haunted by ghosts that lived in my past. I'm bound up in shackles of all of my failures, wondering how long is this going to last? Then you look at this prisoner and say to me, son, stop fighting a fight that's already been won. I believe that's what God wants you to hear today. You don't have to keep fighting the same old fight over and over and over again. That song could have come straight out of Romans chapter 6. So here's what I want to do. I want to just ask one more time that God would speak to us through his mighty word. And then I want to just tell you what he says in Romans 6. Let's pray. Father, oh God, what an amazing time of worship we've already had in your presence. We believe you are powerful. Just the name of Jesus, as we've sung, has deep meaning and impact in our life. But Lord, we also believe your word is powerful and true, able to cut us, to impact us into the deepest parts of our lives. So do that right now, giving us openness in every area of who we are, Lord, Teach us what we need to know. Give us what we should have. Make us who we should be for your glory. Start with me, Lord. I want to walk in victory in all areas of my life. God, I pray that you would save somebody today because we gather together and your word is preached. God, I pray that more than anything, the name of Jesus would be magnified as your word is proclaimed. And Lord, I pray that the words I say and even my thoughts would be pleasing to your lips. And I would ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in Romans 6 and verse 1, but I just want to remind you where we've come through. The the first five chapters of Romans are all about 
of what God has accomplished for us. We've kind of summed it up in one word, right? The word justification. He justifies us. He takes us who are sinners and makes it just as if we've never sinned. But if you're not careful, here's what happens. Because it's happened to some of you, and and this is the problem we're going to uncover today. You've looked at your salvation experience as if this is a a one-moment thing that gives you simply fire insurance. It kind of guarantees your ticket to heaven. And so that happened at some point in your life, but now you're going through the struggle of life And it's just not all adding up. It's not making sense. And you're messing up again and again and again because you're thinking like some could think from Scripture that you go from that moment of justification, justification, I am saved, straight to glorification, which we say I will be saved, which is heaven. And you skip over that mighty important thing, which is called sanctification which is I am in this process of becoming more and more like Christ. So chapters 1 through 5 deal with what God has accomplished for us. And then beginning in chapter 6 and verse chapter 7 and chapter 8, we see what God accomplishes in us. So this should be really relevant to all of our lives. Here's what God wants to do in and through you, beginning in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. This is the Word of God. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? so that grace may increase. Now, just so that you understand how silly that sounds, it would be as if after I preached and then we sang the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, that you came up after church and said, now, Pastor Paul, are you saying that because of God's amazing grace and what he makes available to me, I can do anything I want? What do you think I would say if you asked that question? (laughs) you're unanimous, and you're correct. I would say no. And yet, this is the balance that Christ's followers have struggled with really for a couple of thousand years. We hear the truth of the gospel of God's grace, and it seems like we err on one side or the other. We either look over here and we become legalistic because it just sounds too good to be true. And, And so we just focus on those laws and our desire to fulfill the law. Or... On the other end of the spectrum, we get overcome with liberalism. We believe since grace abounds and praise the Lord, party on, sin abounds. And we can do whatever we want to no effect. Now, why would he begin chapter 6 this way? Well, first, I have to remind you in case you didn't know this, um, the chapters and the verses, they were added later. So this is a letter Paul didn't divide it this way. So what came right before this? Look at chapter 5, verse 20. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. Now, just a reminder where we've come from. uh, We were taught through the book of Romans that we were not given the law so that we would be able to fulfill the law because God knew we would never do that. We would always fall short. We would always miss out on fulfilling the law perfectly. So why do we have the law? The law shows us how much we need God and His grace. The the law shows us that we are sinners. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So if we just stopped with the law showed me I'm a sinner, and that was the end of the story, that would be a sad story. Say, that's a sad story. 
But this is good news. It's not a sad story. So where sin increased, grace increases just as more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That sounds too good to be true. It sounds like, wow, even though we're sinners, we've got God's grace. It does sound too good to be true, but it is true. So you can imagine the people begin to ask, man, can we just party hardy? Can we just do what we want? And so (laughs) it doesn't take long. Listen to Paul's answer. Verse 2. By no means. He knew just as you knew I would say, no, of course not. Not a chance. No way, Jose. I mean, no, nada. However you say it in whatever language, the answer is no. We died to sin How can we live in it any longer? He answers in the strongest terms. And why does he answer so strongly? Don't miss this. It's because we died to sin. If you are a Christ follower, the biblical teaching is that you died to sin. And that's important if you're going to do better in understanding how it means how you live this godly life what does it mean to die to sin well before you can understand what it does mean let me tell you what it does not mean and the best way to summarize this I found from pastor and theologian Tim Keller he says first of all it does not mean that we no longer want to sin (laughs) we wish it meant that right in fact, uh, one of my friends would always say, when, when, we cha- when we're saved, it changes our want to. And I've struggled with that. I know what he's trying to say, but I, I, I struggle with that because sometimes I find myself wanting to sin. Anybody else in that category? Our, our want to is not a, Well, what happens is the Holy Spirit of God comes into us. And so then when we take that step, we begin to experience conviction, but we still struggle with that because sometimes we do want to sin. Secondly, he says it does not mean we should just no longer ought to sin because that, that's not really saying anything. He doesn't say you ought to be dead to sin. No, this is not something that's about your preference, nor, number three, does he say we're slowly moving away from sin. I remember about 20 years ago, sweet, godly lady just came from a different theological perspective where she felt she could lose her salvation in Christ. And so we were talking about that one day, and I said, Miss Leela, she's an older lady, and man, I, I so respected her, but I said, Miss, Miss Leela, um, you know, if, if there's something you can do to lose your salvation, then that implies there was something you could do to earn or deserve your salvation. I said, Miss Lita, you don't think that on this side of heaven you could ever become sinless, do you? And she said, oh yes, that's what I'm striving for. And that sounds good. We just know it's not possible because we're still coming from that flesh of Adam. We are all sinners. We're always going to fall short on this side of heaven because we are being sanctified. We've not yet been glorified. So why I want to look more and more like Christ, being dead to sin, doesn't just mean that I gradually get better. Number four, it also does not mean I've renounced sin. And and some of us think that way, that I'm going to conquer this thing by just saying, I don't like it. Well, I'm glad you don't like it, but you're not in the mafia. 
You can't say, you're dead to me, sin. It just doesn't work. That's not what this means. In fact, he's not even saying that we're no longer guilty, though that's true. If you've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, you've looked to Jesus for your salvation, you're no longer guilty. But this is much more than that. What is it? This is saying that the moment you become a Christian, you're no longer under the ruling power of sin. And let me see if I can explain that. Here's the first thing I want you to know. There's been a death and a change in monarchy that directly affects you. There's been a death and a change in in monarchy that directly affects you. I know what some of you are thinking, but unless you're a citizen of the United Kingdom, I'm not talking about the death of the queen. Though that's fascinating, isn't it? And, And someone asked me this week, I wonder why so many people over here are so fascinated with the royals, with the crown. And I, I've got a side thought on that. I think it's because we're created with this void in our life that we, we know only can be met by a sovereign leader. And so what we do is, is we look as we go throughout life to put things, our people, into that role as king or queen of our life. And so we're kind of fascinated with that idea. And yet the reality is what Scripture teaches is the only thing that's going to meet that sovereign need is our sovereign God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. That's why I'm reading through Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, the prophet, over and over and over again, he just says, the sovereign Lord. You see, there's got to be a point in your life where you recognize there is a sovereign and Jesus is the sovereign. But this week we did watch as as so many mourn the death of of Queen Elizabeth. I was in uh, Great Britain this summer and we went to Windsor Castle. I think I showed you a picture a couple weeks ago. And I stood at the window and looked across the courtyard to where the queen was. She was in residence. She was there. I asked one of the helpers, how do you... Have you ever seen the the queen come and go? And they said, yeah, we know she's moving if if the green jaguar, the green jag, if it's driving out, we know the queen's in there. Well, the, the queen died. There was a death. And instantly, instantly in that system, there was a new monarch. The moment she breathed her last breath, her son Charles became the king. There were some formal proceedings this weekend. There will be more formal proceedings in the future. But the monarchy did not have to wait on that. The monarchy changed instantly after there was a death. Here's what Paul is saying. When Jesus died on the cross, he not only took the penalty of sin from you, He changed the ruling power of sin in this world. That's why he would say in 1 Corinthians 15, where, oh, death is your victory. Where, oh, sin is your what? Sting. Where's the power of sin? No, the power of sin changed when Jesus died on the cross. There was a death, and that death changed who was in charge. Sin no longer is ruling on this earth, though it's still present. It does not have rule. It doesn't have the rule it had before the death, the burial, and the resurrection. As we read in chapter 5 and verse 21, where sin reigned, it no longer reigns. 
Sin is not reigning on this planet. And this is important because there's some of us that we feel like sin is still reigning in our life. You're like my friend, or like I sometimes feel. I, I, I know I've given my life to Christ, but this, this old thing, it's like this old dog that just keeps coming, running after me and won't let loose. And I, What's the problem? Let me see if I can illustrate what Paul's saying here. Another cultural reality of our present day is that it's 9-11. And so something happened after 9-11. Our country went to war. And so U.S. troops invaded the country of Afghanistan. And it was for a purpose. It was to remove the leadership of that country and to place new leadership in there. And so as a result of that war, the, the Taliban and, and Al-Qaeda were, were taken out of power. They no longer had the leadership, the governing, the ruling power but they were not abolished from the country. In fact, they just retreated to the desert, right? And hid in caves. And so over 20 years, a lot of American soldiers served there, even some here with us today. We're so grateful for the service, but the pain, the havoc, the chaos that was caused still took place even though their leadership was not in, in power. Paul was saying, when Jesus died on the cross, the power of sin's rule in your life was gone. But the presence of sin is not gone. And that power still comes in to wreak havoc from time to time. And you get to decide whether or not you are going to obey that grip of sin in your life. And unfortunately, the Bible says that sometimes you will obey. Sometimes you will do what sin makes you think you have to do. But I'm here to tell you today, like that great Easter song, Arise My Love says, sin no longer has a grip on you. Sin no longer has the power that it once had if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Sin can't rule over you. Why? Because someone else has taken rule. Death occurred, and there's a new monarch. It's not just a new sheriff in town. There's a new king in your life. He's over your heart. Sin can no longer hold you captive. But for this to be true, sin has to have died for you. So I want to think about that for a moment. This week at House of Prayer, my favorite service of worship for our church, we looked at John 11 and, and we talked about the story of Lazarus. Do you remember that story? Let, let me just introduce it to you a little bit. John 11 verse 1 says, now a man named Lazarus was sick and he was from Bethany, the, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And this is Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and, and wiped his feet with her hair. So this is not just a stranger. This is somebody. These were three friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus of Jesus. He knew them well. So the sisters sent word to Jesus and said, Lord, the one you love is sick. So this is somebody. Jesus didn't just know him. He loved him. And then look at the next verse. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Praise the Lord. Nope. 
It's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now watch what happens next. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, now Jesus loved them. So, don't miss that. Now Jesus loved them. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That doesn't sound like love. Why did Jesus do that? Do you know what happened? Did Lazarus get better from that sickness? No, he died. And he was buried. And in fact, when Jesus came to town, he went to the tomb and the sister says, Jesus, do not open that tomb because it's going to smell because it's been days that he's been dead. Why did Jesus do that if he loved them? Because he knew something that you and I need to know. He knew that the power of resurrection can only be manifested in the presence of death. There can't be new life until there's been death to the old life. And so what some of you have to resolve, and and I can't do it for you. It's got to be you as you commune with God. You've got to resolve. If sin really is controlling me, have I ever died to that old way? Has there been a change of monarch in my life? Is Jesus ruling and reigning for me? There has to be death in order for there to be change in the reign of your life. So have you died to sin? There's a second truth I want you to understand. Not only there has to be death and a change in the monarchy directly affects you, a change in monarchy results in new identity for you. That's what happens. Um, I have to tell you, I'm one of those, I was kind of glued to the TV watching all of this after the, the queen and and, and when I learned about it, instantly everybody began to talk about what King Charles was going to be called. What, was he going to be King Charles III? Or, or there was a slight chance, kind of a dark horse chance, that he might be called King George. He's King Charles III. Instantly, his identity changed. He made his announcement, and um, we figured out it's not just for him, Right? His sons, there's a change there too. William and Kate, they're now the prince and and the princess of Wales. And they're the duke and the duchess of Cornwall. Their identities change and where they live is likely even changing. Paul's going to help us understand that when you begin this relationship with Christ, your identity changes. When sin dies and marks the end of the reign you receive a new title, a new identity. That's what we are. We're, we're justified. We're saved. We're, we're redeemed. We're, we're followers of Christ. And, and that's what he explains in these next verses. Let's read verses 3 through 10. Uh, oh, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead... Through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in death like this, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, 
so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has a mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. That's one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture in all the Bible. Let me explain it. Paul begins by using a word that we literally transliterate, which means we just kind of print it out from the Greek language. It's the word baptizo. Now, we recognize that because we're Baptist, and we have baptism. But let me unpack a little bit about what's really going on here. That word just means to submerse or, or to cover up or, or, or to put under, totally under. And, and so Paul's beginning by talking about what happens spiritually. When you look to Christ and to the death of Jesus on the cross, what you're doing spiritually is you're saying, I'm submitting my life up under his what? His rule and reign. Why? Because he's the king. He's the Lord. He's the one in control of my life. But then that inner decision is expressed outwardly. And so we express that outwardly through water baptism. So when a person has begun a relationship with Christ, the Bible teaches that the very first thing you should do as a sign of obedience is to be baptized. Why? Because when you are, it's like preaching a sermon. You go up under that water. And when you go up under the water, you've been saying, you're saying, I've been buried with Christ in my baptism. You come out of the water. When you come out of the water, you're saying, like Christ was raised from the dead, I've been raised to new life. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us inwardly expressed in an outward manner. By the way, some of you come from a, a different faith expression of your Christian Christianity, that's why we don't baptize by sprinkling. Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, that's not in the Bible. You don't see it anywhere. But secondly, you can't paint this picture. You can't show burial and resurrection with sprinkling. So, so that's why part of our, our teaching here is that when you begin that relationship with Christ, that first step of obedience for you is to be scripturally baptized. Hey, that's also why we don't baptize infants. We, we'll have a sweet time coming up where, where we um, dedicate parents and their children, newborn babies. Um, but we don't baptize them. Why? Because that's not what baptism is about. Baptism is for someone who's got a relationship with Christ and they're symbolically expressing that in an outward manner. So I know what some of you are thinking. I've not done that. I don't have it right. And so I want to encourage you to do something. On your seat, you had one of these connect cards. On the back of that connect card is a place where you can say, uh, I have decided to be baptized. And if, if you feel like you need to be scripturally baptized, I just want you to check that off. And we're going to tell you how to get this back in our hands but, but that's probably something you should do just to show I'm being obedient to the commands of Scripture. So Paul's saying this picture of baptism it expresses that we're no longer under the control of sin in our life. In fact, he uses another word. He, he said, he kind of says you're connected with Christ. In the Greek, it's a word that we would translate grafted. 
Now, I have a brown thumb. I mean, you put a plant or a vegetable plant in front of me, I mean, I'm going to kill it. Um, we don't have any in our house because my, my wife's thumb is actually a little browner. Um, but, but here's the reality. My understanding is you can take what is even a dying plant and you can graft part of that dying plant into a thriving plant and in a way way beyond my education and comprehension the two become one. So don't miss what Paul is saying. He's saying when you look to Christ you're grafted into him. Not only do you identify with him in death, you identify with him in life. Your identity becomes Christ. So here's what some of you are thinking. I I look at myself, I hate myself, I'm ashamed, I I feel guilty, I'm a sinner. And yet, I know that I've followed Christ. I know that that I'm saved. I know that I'm going to heaven. What is this? I, I I want you to hear, if that's true, if you're a follower of Christ, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of his son that you're clothed in. You're no longer slaves to sin. But some of you are struggling with that. You're acting like you're a slave. On September 22nd, 1862, President Lincoln signed what we now call the Emancipation Proclamation. It may surprise you that it took months for many slaves to even hear about it. And then some of you don't realize it took another three years for the 13th Amendment to be passed, which actually abolished slavery. So all who had been enslaved were now officially free. That was the legal transaction. But an interesting thing occurred, particularly among older slaves. Many couldn't do it. It was too overwhelming. And in what is really shocking to imagine, many chose to to stay in a system that was actually slavery. They kept the same masters. They didn't experience freedom. Though they were positionally free, they maintained the posture of slavery. And that's exactly where many Christ followers are today. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, you're positionally free. Sin doesn't have power over you. But you're maintaining the posture of one who's not been freed. Look at verses 8 through 10 again. It says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer. Say no longer. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. Say once for all. What Jesus did on the cross, he did one time. But that one time was enough for you for the rest of your life. When you come to Christ and you trust him in grace, you look to him in faith, the salvation that he gives to you is enough. 
It's enough for everything you need. Jesus really is enough. He gives you a new identity. He changes you. The old passes away. All becomes new. wonder if you've embraced your new identity. I heard about this guy. He went to see a nutritionist. He said, I think I'm having a, a dietary issue. And his nutritionist said, okay, what, what's the issue? He said, well... I really like dog food. <laughs> Nutritionist looked at me and said, whoa, 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 what do you mean you really like dog food? He said, I can't explain it. But when I go to the grocery store, he said, um, he said I feel like I'm magnetically pulled to the dog food aisle. And, and he said, as I look at the dog food, he said, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but saliva just begins to come out of my mouth. I just start drooling. He says, and I can't help myself, and it gets me in trouble. But the next thing I knew, I'm tearing open a package of, of dog food, and I'm just scooping it in. It makes me so happy. I love it. In fact, after I get full, I'll just lay down right down in the aisle, and all my arms and my legs up in the air, and I'm just waiting for somebody to come and rub my belly. The nutritionist said, how, how long have you had this problem? He said, ever since I was a puppy. <laughs> Sounded a little funnier when I heard Tony Evans tell that story. <laughs> but Pastor Tony, he goes on to say, some things require more than just behavior modification. They require a new identity. And so here's the reality. Some of you are having the struggle because you're just trying to modify your behaviors. You're trying to be a good moral person. But as we're building the facts up, it's seeming more and more like maybe you've never had that new identity, right? We're going to address that. So, so there's been a death, and, and that change in monarchy, it directly affects you. And then that change in monarchy results in a new identity for you. But here's the great news. You have influence over who or what reigns in your life. Isn't that great? Say, I have influence. You are. Now, you just took that responsibility, so think about what that means. You have influence. But that influence is not self-help. It's just not. It's, it's not self. We love self-help. We all want. We're, we're, we're screamed to from the, from the view and from anything we watch. on. You need to just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You can change things. Come on. Help yourselves. My wife's in Texas um, helping take care of her dad. His name's Ron. Sweetest man I've ever known. He had a fall and it resulted in a brain bleed. Please pray for Ron. But um, man, our, our other boys have left the nest and so uh, that's just me and little Anaya she's a fireball we had to stay busy so Friday I picked her up from school and we had a long daddy daughter date and one of our stops was at Barnes and Nobles and by the way Barnes and Nobles doesn't carry braille books isn't that interesting but she loves to be read to as well as she loves to read by braille and and so um, I picked up a book that that she loves, and, 
And then, I I love books, so we just walked around Barnes & Noble, and I knew this was coming, so I I went to the self-help section, and it is huge. There are books upon books upon books about self-help. Why? Because all of us know we need help. We know we're in trouble. We know we blow it. We're not good fathers. We're not good husbands. We're not good moms. We're not good wives. We're not good workers, employees, or students. We, we need help. And yet, I just got to tell you something. I don't care how many self-help books you buy. They're not going to help you. You know why? Because what you're dealing with is a spiritual problem. Self is the problem. Let me say that so that you can understand it all the way in the back. You are the problem. So you can't help you get out of the problem. Said a little more tender way. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And so we need someone outside of ourselves. And that's what Jesus does. That's why he died on the cross to take the penalty for your sin. That's why he died on the cross to lessen the power of sin in your life. That's why he died on the cross to make available for you a day where there will be no more presence of sin. But you've got to look to Jesus. He's capable of helping you. How do you do that? Well, that's the end of this passage we're reading today. Look at verse 11. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin. That word count, we, we, we saw it earlier in Romans. It's an accounting word. And remember, we learned that we have a sin debt, and the only way we're going to be right with God if somebody paid our debt. So Jesus paid the debt on the cross. The blood of Jesus paid a debt that we owed, even though he didn't owe the debt. So this is that same accounting word. Some of your translations say reckon. We, we used to say that in South Carolina. Reckon it's going to rain today? I mean, he's saying, think about this, apply this to yourself, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires, or some of your translations say passions. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God. Do not offer any part of yourself. Do not offer any part of yourself, but instead offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part, offer every part, Every part, offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Because you're not under the law. You're under grace. You know what he's saying? You keep fighting battles that have already been won. You're struggling with stuff that under the grace of God, you should not have to be struggling with. What Jesus died for was to give you victory, so he wants you to start walking in victory. Let me give you three steps toward walking in victory before I pray. Number one, if you're a follower of Christ and yet you're having this struggle, you may need to change the way you see yourself. You're seeing yourself as the sum total of all your failures, of all your sin. And you're never going to walk in victory if that remains your identity. So that's why he begins by saying, count what he's done, apply that to your life. So as I said a moment ago, when God looks at you, Christ follower, he sees you clothed in the righteousness of Christ. 
That's how he sees you. How do you see you? Change the way you see yourself. Secondly, constantly watch out for the idols in your life. So Paul uses this phrase, he says these evil desires are these passions. And it literally means controlling passions. And that's what an idol is, right? You, you know the definition of idol. Idol is anything, even a good thing, that becomes the ultimate thing. So what are the things that have become the ultimate thing in your life? Can I help you? For some of you, alcohol has become an idol. And you've justified that because of the liberty that you have in Christ. But it's controlling you. It's an idol. For some of you, your lustful thoughts or the, the things you look at with your eyes or the things you do with your body, uh, it's become idolatry. Um, for, for some of you, this is hard this time of year. Oh, But for some of you, um, sports has become an idol. And for some of you, it's teamed up with another idol because your children have become your idol or your grandchildren have become your idol. And you're running after those two idols and meanwhile your children are not growing in the things of God. Um, your job can become your idol. Material possessions can become your idol. Do you get the picture? Things that control you, that, that determine what you should do. David Paulison said, core idols are at the center of every heart. And, and there are four core idols. He said, power or, or the desire to be in charge or control or, or the, the desire to, to make sure everything is under control or approval or comfort. Those are four things that kind of guide that idolatry in our life. Or, or I like those three life drifts that we've talked about, those three tempting areas like our appetite. That's our comfort. So I've always got to make myself... I've got to be pleased. I've got to be happy. I've got to be comfortable. Uh, appetite or, or the approval of others. If you're happy, I'm happy. That becomes an idol. Or, or my ambition, what I can accomplish, becomes an idol. And it controls us. And when these passions control us, even these things that don't have to be bad become bad in our life. So let's play it out. So anger can begin to control you. Anger is not bad. You may have righteous anger, but if you become an angry person, you're being controlled. That's an idol in your life. Take that a little where differently. Do you know sadness can be the same thing? Nothing wrong with being sad. Man, you look at some of the things in this world, it, if you're not sad, you're insensitive. But if you're sad all the time, if that's the controlling thing in your life, Even fear and worry. They begin to be who we are. Even though God said, don't be afraid. So check those idols. Last thing, consistently yield to Christ. <laughs> so what did he say? All right, guys, we want to break this rule of sin. We just got to give it all back to Jesus. So here's how easy it gets. First thing you do. Every morning, before your feet hit the floor. Jesus, this day is yours. Jesus, I want to honor you in my thoughts today. I, I want to honor you in my 
in my words that I say, I, I don't want any of my actions to dishonor you. Are you going to be tempted as you go through today? You better believe it because when you woke up and began to proclaim that, the enemy said, all right, let's see what you got, big boy, big girl. But then you've started your day with that mindset. Spend some time in the Word of God so that you're just consistently yielding to Him. And throughout the day, say, Jesus, I know you haven't forgotten, but I just want to remind you, I'm yielding to you today. I'm going to pray through my day just like you prayed and taught us to pray. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Not my kingdom, God, but your kingdom. Every part of me. So here's my question. Are you living that resurrection life? I mean, that's what this is all about. That's what the Bible says. It sounds kind of crazy. The same power that conquered the grave is available to you? Man, how in the world, in our modern expression of this faith, have we com become content with a powerless expression of our love for Jesus? That resurrection life is available to you. You'll never get that by fighting the same old battles. You'll never get that by just making new goals or resolutions. You'll never get that just by turning over a new leaf. The only way you get that is by being redeemed, by being saved, by being justified. So has that happened in your life? <laughs> See, I don't know. I don't know if it's really happened. Well, maybe just walk through this. See, there's a difference between willfully pursuing sin and occasionally succumbing to the power of sin in our life. See, if you're a Christ follower, you're going to blow it. You're going to mess up one day, maybe even in some big ways. But when you do, the Holy Spirit of God in you says, Whoa! What are you thinking? Stop! Get back right! Turn around! That's called conviction. And so you're not willfully pursuing it, but man, you recognize things have to change. But if you're willfully pursuing sin, man, maybe you never let Christ take control and you need to be redeemed. But when you are, the things you're ashamed of, the ways you've been abused, the addictions you've struggled with, the anger you've felt, none of these things get the last word. Why? Because you've been redeemed. God changes you. And maybe you just need to be reminded of that today. God changes you. Just like he changed a man named Saul who not only persecuted people like us, he killed them. And, and then he became, maybe apart from Jesus, the greatest preacher ever to live. Just like he changed a man named Peter who was, was such a coward. He couldn't even stand up to a little girl, the Bible says. He denied Christ, and yet God restored him and gave him courage. And on the day of Pentecost, he stood up in front of thousands of people and preached the gospel. Just like he changed John. John was an angry man. He was an abusive man. But we know him in Scripture as the beloved, the lover of God. And just like ladies, he changed a bunch of the women in Scripture who have shady past. God is in the business of changing people. That's what he does. That's who he is. If you're a Christ follower, you've been redeemed. It's time to start acting like it. Listen to how that song concludes. 
I am redeemed. You set me free. So I'll shake off these heavy chains. I'll wipe away every stain. I'm not what I used to be. Because I don't have to be the old man inside of me. His day is long dead and gone. I've got a new name, a new life. I'm not the same. And that hope will carry me home. I am redeemed. I pray you are. Let's bow our heads together. Oh, Christ follower, this is a message really to Christians or at least professing Christians. Oh, don't miss this moment. Don't, don't treat this time as just a, a, a passing whim. Do some deep investigation. Are you confident of that redemption in your life? Are there idols that, that need to be checked? You need to re-yield to him today. In just a moment, I'm going to encourage you. You may come and just pray. Pray with one of our pastors or, or pray around the front of this room. But I want you to get everything out of this Christ follower. It's time to stop fighting the same old battles. But here's the deal. Some of you are fighting those because you've never been saved. And I'm not saying that because I know that. I, I can't know your soul. But I'm, I'm saying that it sure looks that way, doesn't it? I mean, you're not battling this. You're, you're just succumbing to it over and over again because there's not been a, tra- a change in monarchy. You need Jesus. So here's the good news. Jesus loves you and he wants you in the family of God. And he demonstrated his love for you so much that he died. He took that penalty of sin and, and, and he takes care of that power of sin in your life. And one day he'll give you a life without even the presence of sin. But you've got to look to him. And you can do that right now. And here's the great thing we believe that the Bible teaches. You don't even have to have a pastor. You can talk directly to God. And so in your words, you could say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I, I need you. I need forgiveness. And you, you made that available on the cross and I'm ready to follow you for the rest of my life. But some, sometimes we need someone to help us. So if that's you, maybe, maybe you would just pray these words to God. Maybe you'd say, dear, dear Jesus. Oh, I need you, Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. You don't have to tell me that. The preacher didn't have to tell me that. I know I'm a sinner. I need to be changed. I believe you died for me, Jesus. I know you're alive today. I'm ready to follow you, to to look after you. Jesus, I'm ready for you to change me. So come into my life, Lord. Take control. The old me is dying today, Lord. The new me is being raised by you. Tell him thank you. Say thank you, Jesus. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Some of you just 
either you knew you were not a Christ follower or maybe you just began to realize in the message today, we call that the Holy Spirit moving in your life. You realize you never really followed Christ, but you prayed that prayer with me or maybe you prayed a prayer in your own words. If you did that, just like some did in our last service, if you did that right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you just lift your hand up right wherever you're seated? Wherever you're seated, just lift your hand up right now. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. It's awesome. Welcome to God's family. It's the most important thing you could ever do. Anyone else? Welcome to God's family. If you just prayed that prayer, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In just a moment, when I say amen, there are going to be pastors standing at every one of these aisles. And I want you just to come tell them, hey, I just prayed that prayer with Pastor Paul. And they just want to talk to you about what that means and what your next step is. It's not joining the church today. That's not what we do right here. Some of you are here and and God really prompted you in this process that you need to be scripturally baptized. Maybe you do like a young couple did in the last service and just come down as we're singing and tell one of the pastors, hey, I need to be baptized. How how do I set that up? And, And we'd love to talk to you and explain that and help walk you through that. But maybe you just need to spend some time yielding to the Lord. Whatever your need. Father, I I pray that in these moments you'll begin to work in our hearts. Lord, give freedom to this time. Lord, our hour is a little later than usual. But God, I would pray that you would protect us from being distracted. And that you would work here for your glory. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for this. We thank you because we are redeemed. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship. Seems like